Welcome to Rainbow Colored Glasses, a podcast that looks at queer cinema of the past and asks what it means today. I'm Paul, my guest is Soterios, and today we're discussing the 1998 coming-of-age film Get Real. Get Real follows Stephen Carter, a sullen 16-year-old who goes cruising in the parks. He runs into John Dixon, a track star from his school, and they begin a torrid affair. Soon Stephen's ready to come out, but John still can't face his own truth. Patrick Wilde adapted the film from his semi-autobiographical play, What's Wrong with Angry? Wilde said he was sick of being told by people that it was easier to be gay in the 1990s. He'd grown up under the UK's anti-gay laws, like Section 28. Schools were forbidden from acknowledging homosexuality, and the age of consent between men was 21. So putting his own 16-year-old self on paper was a political as well as personal act. Soterios, what was it like watching this film again? Oh my gosh, a um, it, it was a reckoning, to to say the least. You know, when I when I saw the movie for the first time, I want to say I was twenty. I, I was twenty. I don't think I was old enough to drink yet, but I was I was twenty. We'll say early twenties. Still in the closet. It's still very much in the closet. I I you know. I I think that I don't think that any even in my, any of my close friends that even talked to about it. It was just something that I a fantasy that I lived with. And when I saw this movie, I remember thinking to myself, "Oh, how lucky Stephen is to land a man like John because he's so <laughs> handsome and he's so and he's you know he's he's the he's the a gay and he's very masculine and and uh, he's very popular and everyone wants to be like him and." There's a part of me that too that, that was asking, why would you come out? You're gonna ruin everything, you know? And and little did I know then, as I realize now how much I was reflecting my own um shame and stress and anxiety onto that character. And then when I saw it, I I saw it a couple months ago, and I was like, this movie does not hold up just for sheer production value. It, it almost plays like an after-school TV special. And then I watched it again this afternoon and forgiving some of the nineties tropes and the sappy music, I realized that the, the, the real fault of the movie is that they, there are times where I'm like, am I watching this horror movie about an abused person? Cause, cause Steven is being gaslit this entire movie. And Jonathan is almost like a psychopath, almost to the point where he feels it's it's almost like he's this unbelievable character that that this character has been completely fabricated. Um, and of course, like I, I understand the trope of the coming out story and having the trope of of the person you never expect to be gay to be gay, but he's also you know they throw the word love around a lot and. They have a really crumb way of showing it. And John is just a, a very abusive partner. I actually liked it very much, even the second time around. But I think the thing, and not so much that I liked it, but I found myself having a much more empathetic response to my younger self. When we find ourselves attracted to people who we can't have and who don't, uh, for lack of a better phrase, belong to us. I found myself feeling very... I just wanted to grab my younger self and hug them. Like, it's okay. You didn't know what you, you were doing because we've been in that situation. We've been in that. I mean, I, I almost, I almost say we, I have been there where I was very much wanting someone to be mine who wasn't going to be mine. And, and realizing that I, you know, I, I had to learn how to love myself first. And I think that's what Steven does. 
And I think that's a general gist. I'm sure we can get into some details, but what was it like for you? Well, yeah, it's it's interesting looking at John because at first it's like, oh, well, he's the fantasy. He's the wish fulfillment character. Mm -hmm. The Oh, yeah, the hot jock that we see in so many of these gay movies. But then I read the interview with the writer about how this was based on his own tragic high school affair. Uh And now I see it. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's. They hardly ever talk. They they meet to hook up, and then yeah. when they and when they do talk, the guy John is monologuing about his problems, about his daddy issues. Yeah, as oh, dad, I'm dating a model, and dad wants me to go to Yale or whatever it was, and it's it kind of like Oxford, okay, yeah, Oxford. Dad wants yeah. me to go to Oxford, and I'm like, well, how sorry for you should I be feeling? <laughs> and, and yeah, but then you get sort of the. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, one of Stephen's first pickups turns out to be a married man with kids. Mm-hmm. So I do see that as sort of a Christmas yet to come for for John mm-hmm. if he stays on the path that his his father has set up for him. Yeah, I will say this: like, there's an awareness that these two boys have for each other that I and I think it's because I was not. I was, you know, I've joked around so many times on this podcast, every time you've had me on that, you know, when I was younger, I was so far in the closet that I was in Narnia. And there's an awareness that these two boys allow themselves to have that I just can't empathize with. And I use the term empathy very specifically. Like, I, I just don't know what it was like to be that sexually charged at that age to have the wherewithal to go to know to go to a public restroom like these two boys do. I find that terrifying. And we've also said, I think this is one of the things that I have about teenage movies depicting teens. And maybe maybe the landscape is different now because there is so much information out there. But like when you and I were coming up, we didn't we didn't have the Google, you know, to find out like what what is this thing that we're feeling and how does it work for us because we're different. But I, I very specifically remember the response to that watching this movie. And then it was the same response. Like when I watched the, the second season of love Victor, when, when Victor finally s- starts to uh, have a little bit more sexual agency physically in his life. And it's like, it, they, they make it seem so clean and simple and easy. And it's not, you know, especially the, not especially the, like when you, when you're starting, it gets easier, of course, but like the first time, they just make it seem as though it was just simple and fantastical. It was everything either of them ever wanted. And, and I just have this, you know, feeling that like you're, Oh, it's just never, it's never that clean or cut and dry and whimsical. And I appreciate the fantasy, but there's this, but the, but them picking each other up in a restroom, I just was so not uncomfortable. And I was just so scared for both of them. And I think that's one of the reasons too like sometimes it felt like it was, as I was watching a horror movie, there are many times where certain very sad music would come on during these moments of heightened. And it almost felt as though like, Oh, this character is being gaslit to be in this abusive relationship or when they're running through the woods, I just knew that they were going to get caught by a serial killer or, or when, you know, when John, you know, physically harms him in the locker room towards the end, you know, it's, 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 they're in this very abusive relationship. And I don't think, I think for John, his whole thing is about self-preservation, but I think that he's completely selfish. 
The one thing that I could very much identify with, though, is that what are their other options? If they want to express physical intimacy with each other, they were it. There's this moment, moment that I never clocked in previous versions, pre- previous versions, previous times I saw this movie. It's when he's giving his speech, but he says, I wrote this article where I imagine what it must be like to be the rest of you. I've never heard it phrased that way before, but that is literally what my teenage, adolescent, early 20s were, was this fantasy that what was me trying to place myself in this in this position where I, I could imagine what, what it felt like to be others and just do that and just try to, to, to fake some kind of normalcy or existence. And I felt very seen. I felt very, very seen. And I felt a lot of empathy towards Stephen in this whole movie. And there are moments where he, he gains, he has the, the vocabulary and the articulation that I wish that I had when I was younger to describe what things felt like when he was angry. He, you know, I wish that when I was angry at, at, at people for similar things that I could articulate it that way. But I, I did the thing where I shut down. It was emotional to re-experiences again, especially with the growth that I've made since I was, you know, 20. It's literally just maybe a little shy of two decades of, of when I first saw it. And it's just different now. This movie is, it's a different movie now than when I saw it before. Like when we saw Trick, I could appreciate it differently. But, but when I saw this movie, I, I almost found myself empathizing a little bit more with John than I did with, with Steven. And then of course, now I realize, oh no, there's like, it gets better. You don't have to be in an abusive relationship just because you're gay, you know, and that's the only other gay person, you know, so. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Love, Victor, because I have a similar problem with both of those properties where Mm -hmm. Get Real kind of drowns the central story in a bunch of side characters and subplots to the point where it doesn't get to develop as much as it should because he has to share screen time with all these straight kids. And I think what the film is trying to do is contrast what these, what it's like for straight kids dating in high school with what it's like for Stephen and John having their underground affair. And I feel that the, like, I, I think in love Victor, they take it to a point because they need a lot of filler for the series. But I think that if you're going to, Talk about a romance, a queer romance at a high school age. You can't not acknowledge your heterosexual peers. You can't not acknowledge how freeing it is. I mean, I think there's a very specific reason when after he breaks up, quote unquote, with he has his last scene with John, where it's not really clear about what's going on. And again, I think John is just psychotic. I think he's a sociopath. Um, with his whole thing about vibes. Not even Patrick Bateman vibes, but he he physically assaulted him in the locker room and then tells him, well, when I was hitting you, all I really wanted to do was be holding you. And it's like, what is wrong with you? And I remember when I first saw it, I believed him and I really wanted them to work out. And then I'm watching it now. I'm like, gosh, I was such an idiot. So um, the the movie ending with, with Freedom Stephen claims the freedom that his other peers have. 
And I feel that his peers around him are able to express their, their sexual agency in a very healthy way. When, when the, I, I always call her the punk rock girl, but the girl who's the editor of the paper, when she's at the track and field, people wanted to call it rehearsal, <laughs> the track and field practice, she, she very overtly says in these very carnal way that she finds him very sexy and very attractive and would jump his bones. And no one really bats an eyelash about that. But, but Stephen would be a pervert, would be deemed a pervert if he were to, to use that kind of a language to, to describe that. So I didn't really mind the, you know, as, as you described, the glut of periphery characters because he's still a part of a community. And he's a part of a community where he needs to shun away while everyone else can be free. And I, and I found that to be not so much adjacent to the story, but I found it to be complementary to the story. I think that people expressing their sexuality in a healthy manner really shows him how absent he's been. And in terms of being able to experience that, you know? So you mentioned when you watched this film as a youth, uh, you found the relationship more romantic than you find it now, which is understandable. When I saw this film as a youth, I was sour about it having a, a sad ending. I didn't particularly want him to end up with John, but I had just seen Beautiful Thing, which has such a romantic wish fulfillment ending. Mm-hmm. And then to see this, which... And, and saying that it's a sad ending, and I don't think it's a sad ending. I think it's a very happy ending. Like his happiness, he's going to find his happiness in someone else and not someone who's going who's gonna to say, I love you and then be ashamed of you. Well, that's the thing. You, you said earlier, the real story is him learning to love himself. And in that sense, it's not a romance. It's a coming of age film. And that's True. what I didn't understand when I was younger, because it was marketed. Ah, it was oh, marketed like a romance. Yeah. It was marketed like a romance. So the fact that they don't end up together because John falls apart yeah. is sad when you're when you're a, a a little baby gay and um so of course i wanted to just go watch beautiful thing again and i didn't watch i've I've watched beautiful thing multiple times i have not watched get real multiple times and so revisiting it i can see that journey toward self-actualization that steven's trying to take what would you say was your favorite scene i think the scene that struck me the most was when they caught eyes with each other when they were dancing. I think it was a very, very powerful visual metaphor. I think that's what the closet feels like sometimes, that you're looking over your shoulder, scared about who maybe notice who you're looking at. I like the scene in the swimming pool where Stephen boosts John up on his shoulders because (laughs) Stephen's the strong one in that relationship yeah. john's the jock you'd think it would be the other way around but it's it's Stephen who lifts john up and that's one of the few scenes where they're having fun and they're not talking about their sexuality because yeah. they have enough privacy that they can just be teenagers in a pool having fun well let me ask you this like what do you what what are i mean other than the obvious what is in the way of these two people being happy well, they don't love themselves. Yeah. And they're afraid of their parents and their peers. Mm-hmm. And they don't know enough other gay people to 
gauge what they really like. I think that's the big thing too. Because when I look at when I look at John and Steven, especially oh god, and this is gonna sound a little superficial, but when you look at John, he's like really well built. He's got meat on his bone, he's an athlete. And you look at Steven and he looks like a 12-year-old boy. And and there's a there's a part of me that's like here, I don't get the attraction, especially when you're when you're a teenager, it's all about the physicality, it's all about how this person just ignites your your hormones. And I and I understood physically. Stephen liking John, but the other way around, I thought to myself, oh, there's just no one else. And John's the pursuer because when he meets him in the restroom, he finds the courage to come up to the park bench and strike up a conversation with him. And then he asks, are your parents home? Then then when he gets him home, again, setting up some of the red flags, he straddles Stephen and tries to make love to him. But when Stephen tries to kiss him, that's when he runs away. That's when it's too real, which, oh, that is such a trope in, in, in young queer romance. We can do anything but kiss. And it's an, because it's that an, makes it real. It's another example. Well, I think that's a trope in a lot of, I mean, pretty woman did the exact same thing, you know, yeah, it's a trope yeah. in any, in any romance where it's like, your kissing is the most intimate thing you can do. Well, the next time they meet, it's in that same bedroom, again, establishing this is based on a play. And, Stephen goes home. That's creepy. Goes, yes, yeah, Stephen goes home, goes to his room, starts yeah. changing, and John walks in the bedroom, came like right in the front door. Burglar. Like a murderer. What the fuck is wrong with that guy? Like Again, a murderer. Crazy. This guy's freaking psychotic. But ben, ben Silverstone playing Stephen plays that scene so beautifully because he knows he's about to get laid and so like the second that john leaves to use the loo steven's checking his shirt <laughs> checking his breath tidying up he puts the cologne under his armpits i like that was such a 90s teenage thing to do because he knows <laughs> what's going to happen and so then john comes back in and gives this tormented monologue about his first sexual experience and how it traumatized him and Stephen's listening, and Stephen's being very gentle, but he's also waiting for the part where they get to have sex. And I yeah. feel like that balance there is is honest. That's a situ- that's a situation that rang very true to me. I agree with you on that. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way when I saw it. I I, I found myself rolling my eyes many times at this whole like poor me, you know john crying about whatever and don't get me wrong like i don't care if you're the jock or if you're the loser or if you're the band geek or if you're the star of the big debate team like being gay is hard coming out is hard and yeah when the pressure is even more on you if you if you're if you're if you have if you're on this track to lead this grade a heterosexual life and then suddenly you're trying to veer from that track and everyone's supporting you to be on this track yeah it's hard but it would be easier for me to lot, have a lot more sympathy for him if he wasn't such an asshole. And, and I don't know, and, and I have this hard time with it because I don't know if that's intentional. There's obviously, you know, a nurturer and an aggressor in that relationship. So with Stephen being the nurturer, and I think Stephen's very sympathetic about John's inclination to stay in the closet. I think, not inclination, but it's a survival thing. Like John's just not ready and he's fine with it. But like, 
I think all that Stephen's asking for the whole movie is, can you not be so cruel to me? Can you not pretend you don't even know who I am? So what if we're friends? Are you that much better than me that you would never be friends with me, platonically or otherwise? And I and that and that was the part where I really wanted to like hold not just Stephen, but my younger self and be like, here, yeah, yeah. We we're gonna learn from this. <laughs> we're gonna go home. <laughs> we're gonna write in our journals. <laughs> and we're gonna and we're gonna move forward from it. But I think that the movie. I appreciated that it was a coming of age, not a romance. And I very much appreciated that Stephen, as this very gangly, awkward, still growing into himself teenager, lets go of this toxic relationship with someone who's beautiful and handsome and everything probably that he would ever want, but realizing that having the, the, the wherewithal. And he says, and I'll never forget this. I remember it very specifically when he says, you know what I've done, Right. And I think that was something, the thing that I remembered for that, that made me so scared about coming out was the finality of it. You know, there, I was, I think when I saw that movie, I was still holding on to this, um, to this hope that no, it was a phase and no, I am straight. And, um, and when he says the whole, you know what I've done as like, oh no, once you're out, you're out and there's no going back in. And I, and, and I imagine, I would love to know how, you know, a teenager who identifies as queer, who has a much more um, evolved sense of gender and sexuality than I do would look at that situation and be like, you're no, like, you know, if you want to date a woman, date a woman, if you want to date a man, date a man, you know, they, they, they call it just something different now. So the idea of, um, of the, of the sexual binary is very, very clear in this movie. And it's very, very present. Given that, would you recommend this film today? I think my, my hesitancy in recommending it to someone is that I don't know if this is a good movie or if it was a movie that was formative to me. I think that the movie's outdated. I think that, that I would recommend this movie only in an educational sense to look at how art reflected a society um, and how that society behaved, what that society valued versus now. And to have the conversation you and I are having right now, but to watch it for entertainment value, to watch it to, 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 to feel something, I wouldn't recommend. I think that there are other films out there that do something similar. I just wish the movie made a more decisive choice about how they portrayed John. And when he says he loves Stephen, I just can't believe it, but I feel that the filmmaker wants us to believe it. Well, it was very useful for me to listen to an interview with him and see he had based this on his first relationship. And he said Mm -hmm. it was therapy for me. And that put it a lot more in context of why this why this film sort of takes for granted that we'll buy into this relationship. So you're talking about Pat. Sorry, I just want to clarify something. Are you talking about Patrick Wilde based Stephen Carter on himself and John on his first boyfriend? I mean, yeah, he was in a toxic relationship. Maybe, maybe he's very aware of that. Maybe he's very aware of that toxicity, but um, I just, I don't know. Well, he said something that's struck with me. He said at one point, this play was nearly four hours because I just was angry about so many things. And I went, and another thing, and another thing. And then I had to 
pare it back. And then he had to pare it back even more for the movie screenplay because the screenplay is shorter than the stage play. And I think that shows in the fact that he's got so many tangents and side characters because he wants to talk about his relationship with his abusive boyfriend. He wants to talk about his relationship with his parents. He wants to talk about his various relationships at the school and his conflict with the school newspaper. And that's and the film just feels unfocused because it doesn't take the time to develop any of those through lines for me and get me invested in them. And that's Get Real. Thank you so much for talking with me about it. It was fun to revisit this film again. It was a joy. Thank you for listening to Rainbow Colored Glasses. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Glasses Rainbow. The music you're listening to is Squares, licensed under Creative Commons. If you like us, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We'll see you next time.